0: This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Kirsten, or our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR, part of a private equity Montague's portfolio of standalone companies. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Kirsten Longbottom, and I'm joined by EPFR's resident economist, Cameron Brandt. We'll walk you through the latest world news and how that relates to the data that EPFR tracks of mutual funds and ETFs. Cam, another good week, almost in mid-January. Can't believe it. Um, How's the weather up there lately?
1: Not what you would expect of New England at this time of year. Um, well, you know, always have to worry about climate change. There's, there's a bit of me that looks at my energy bills and thinks, uh, oh, that wasn't so bad." Uh, <laughs> yeah, something, something, something that I think uh, is even more of a factor for Europeans at the moment.
0: Definitely, I think we'll get to that a little bit later, um, but. And down here in Texas, we did have a day where we hit 80 degrees. It was quite nice. Um, But yeah. So in the latest week, December CPI reporting closed out the first full week of data in January, um, showing US inflation at 6.45% compared to the 7.1% to almost 9.1% we experienced from June to November. what else has helped bond funds convince investors to commit the most money since the third quarter of 2021 this week?
1: Well, cer- certainly the uh, inflation readings, both here and in the eurozone, uh, encourage those who are hoping for uh, earlier than currently expected pivots uh, from um, tightening to at the very least neutral if not an easing bias on the part of the u s Federal Reserve and the European Central Bank uh what also gave that uh scenario boost was you know generally pretty mixed. Um, Macroeconomic data and um, the guidance coming out of the first batch of major earnings reports—it's uh, hard to find uh, anyone who is particularly optimistic, uh, certainly about the first half of this year. Um, you know, the World Bank recently weighed in by sort of cutting its global growth forecast by almost half. Uh, you know, and we've been seeing uh uh corporate uh f- sort of guidance <clears throat> certainly uh dishing out a dose of <laughs> conservative reality so i think combined with the falling inflation the feeling that um <clears throat> the uh, tightening that's occurred so far really is uh, checking economic activity uh and the fact that bonds sold off so much last year really encouraged investors to move back into that asset class.
0: And so, kind of recently, we've we've seen a lot of companies uh, cutting employees or laying off people. How would that kind of influence investors' decisions in the upcoming weeks? Um, I know you kind of briefly touched on it. <laughs>
1: well um you, you know in aggregate it's uh, a bearish um indicator um but uh at sort of uh, some of the sectors and individual company uh levels uh it may well uh ignite some more interest uh you know we'll have to see what our stock uh, flows level data. Uh, comes up within the next few weeks. But uh, there's certainly been a narrative towards the end of last year that certain sectors of the U.S. and indeed parts of Europe um, have been hoarding labor, uh, a lesson learned from uh, previous crisis uh, and technology just because there'd been so much capital flowing into it. They could, uh, you know, staffing up (laughs) did not... (laughs) cause any great problem. So, uh, you know, I, I think uh, as long as the cost-cutting uh, and, and workforce trimming is judicious, um, that uh, it may actually help uh, U.S. and European equities sort of uh, move higher uh, uh, sooner than it was perhaps expected.
0: Continuing with the central bank talk, um, ahead of the Bank of Japan's first policy meeting of 2023 um, on Tuesday next week, what are investors expecting and how is that shaping the way they approach Japan equity funds?
1: Well, the Bank of Japan uh, has a very well-established track record of trying not to give investors what they're expecting. Uh, and currently, you know, they and markets, uh, there's definitely some tension with markets. Markets feeling that uh, the the band that they are trying to control the ten year uh, Japanese government bond issues at uh, just doesn't reflect uh, global reality. Uh, the BOJ has already blinked one and raised the band. Um, but issues uh, uh, with slightly shorter duration than ten years, which is uh, is is the one, is the one they're trying to control, are, are are now sort of moving higher. Yields on them are moving higher than the ten year year, which is not uh, an ideal. Uh, Yield curve. So um, there's definitely anticipation that the Bank of Japan uh, could take another step towards uh, uh, normalizing monetary policy while accepting that to actually get to normal monetary policy still has many miles to go. Uh, There's obviously also a changing of the guard later this year when the long serving head of the Bank of Japan steps down. Um, So, there's definitely considerable uncertainty at the moment surrounding what has been, uh, certainly over the past uh, seven to eight years, perhaps the most reliably accommodative uh, monetary policy pursued by any of the major central banks. Um, That has, you know, obvious implications for Japan. They've already seen their currency firm a bit, which is not uh, a bad outcome it hasn't firmed so much it hurts their exporters but it does sort of uh, take some of the sting out of uh, imported dollar denominated commodities uh but the wrinkle that uh, is starting to attract some attention is that while rates were so low uh japanese investors looked overseas uh and in, in addition to the u.s they've uh, built up fairly healthy stocks uh, of European debt, uh, Italy and France especially. Um, If the Bank of Japan lifts the uh, yield cap uh, on the 10-year JGB uh, much higher, it'll start to make sense after hedging costs for Uh, Japanese investors to repatriate, uh, sell up and repatriate uh, some of those offshore holdings, which could uh, be an unwelcome jolt for European sovereign debt markets uh, in the months ahead. so, um, basically, markets and investors are, are trying to gauge a scenario that has sort of been off the table for so long. Um, there's sort of a, a catch-up feel to how people are addressing and talking about it.
0: A few single-country bond funds um, among the developed Europe space profited this week, with all groups showing inflows at multi-week highs. Um UK, Switzerland, Denmark, and Greece. Switzerland equity too saw its biggest inflow in six months. Germany equity f- inflows were the highest since f- the first quarter of 2021, while UK equity tung- took a tumble after two positive weeks. Um, an unusually warm winter uh, has put a squeeze on energy, while recently windy conditions have helped energy, renewable energy, make sweeping positive results in the UK, breaking records for wind power as well. What's the energy in Europe
1: picture? Well, I, th- I think what, what you mentioned in terms of flows into some of those funds uh, is, is tied to the fact that, um, uh, this winter, certainly, from an energy and energy cost perspective, has not been as brutal as people feared it might uh you know um it's been a very warm winter, so gas, natural gas usage has not really stressed uh the the stored supplies, and markets have adapted uh pretty quickly to the uh the uh, shutting off of russian taps to europe um, so the the uh you know the outlook for europe uh is somewhat improved uh, from where it was uh, going into the winter. Um, you know, it remains uh, probably the the corner of the economic world, or certainly the developed economic world, with uh, the greatest headwinds and. Um, what was it, the 47th straight week of redemptions from Europe equity funds, uh, despite the, as you noted, better flows into dedicated Germany and Switzerland equity funds. Uh, so, um, there's definitely some value there uh in the eyes of investors but there's also still considerable risks attached to um positioning yourself to realize that value so um you know, I think we will sort of see increasing interest in developed Europe over the next few months, but I think flows in and out of funds, while well, probably on a rising trend, will be pretty choppy.
0: Makes sense. I think that trickled along into sector funds a little bit this
1: week. You dug into that a bit, and and I was I was interested that. Uh, both industrial and consumer goods uh sector funds ha had uh, uh a better than has <laughs> been the case week uh, uh and then there was sort of more grief in the technology <laughs> arena Can you tell us a bit about what you did see? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I guess I'll start with the, the positive notes. Um, we did see six groups post inflows this week, four of which were the same as last week. And we did see five groups post outflows. Um, U.S. equity drove flows positive for both consumer goods the users and industrial sector funds, the makers of the goods. Um, despite China equity posting an overall outflow in the latest week, we did see consumer goods sector funds dedicated to China absorb some fresh cash in the latest week. Um, U.S. tech didn't do as well. Um, the heaviest redemption in nine weeks of over $1 billion dragged the overall headline number down further. Um, I think investors were focused on The latest earnings from Taiwan's largest semiconductor manufacturer, they did beat earnings but missed revenue estimates, um, and they attributed that to weaker consumer demand. The pandemic kickstarted major movement for working from home. And as a result, electronics were in a very high demand. And I think that was when we experienced a chip shortage. And now having recovered, the need from investors for electronics, I think, is dimming or coming to an end. And they did point towards those signs. Today, we did see a few big companies like Delta and United UnitedHealth. Um, various major banks report So we may expect the numbers to reflect some of what was talked about in those earnings in in the upcoming week. But um, I do plan to also somewhat dive into aerospace and defense funds, which um, came under industrials um, because four funds dedicated to aerospace and defense appeared in the top ten funds reporting inflows for industrials. So that may be. A connection to the Russia-Ukraine conflict, um, not sh- too sure of the angle, but that's a good focus.
1: And perhaps to end, I should pick up on your mention of COVID um, and China um, in the coming weeks uh, we have the China Chinese Lunar New Year, uh, a big holiday there. Even in normal times, the uh, economic data screens go fairly blank for a couple of weeks. Uh, but this year has the uh, added uh, focus of what this uh, huge move home and back will do to the COVID uh, epidemic, pandemic that is sweeping through uh, China at the moment. Um, So that obviously has implications for when the much anticipated rebound for the Chinese economy will take place. So um, I imagine we'll be watching that, watching how the flows react to whatever news <laughs> comes out of China during this this the, the next few weeks.
0: Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Well, thank you, Cam, for joining us again on Friday, and we'll check back next week.
1: Yeah, as we move from the year of the tiger into the year of the rabbit.
0: <laughs> Woo! <laughs> we'll have to dive into the meaning of yeah, those sometime. Bad, yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. For more information or to suggest a topic for a future podcast, please visit epfr.buzzsprout.com or email us directly at at epfr.exchangepodcast.informa.com.